Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Today we're going to be continuing our series in 1 Thessalonians. Um, So if you've got a Bible, uh, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. Um, And this letter um, has been a little bit unusual um, in that most of the letter to this point um, has been pretty much encouragement um, and exhortation. Um, So Paul has been writing of his fond affection for the Thessalonians um, and uh, encouraging them. um, And uh, there hasn't really been much in the way of teaching or doctrine. It's not particularly dense sort of theology as perhaps with some of Paul's other letters. um, But you do really get a sense of his heart. Um, for the Thessalonians um, and how much he loves them. He was traveling with um, Timothy um, and Silvanus. We read at the start of the letter um, and they went to uh, Thessalonica. Um, They were there for a few weeks, um, shared the good news of Jesus with people. People started uh, turning to Jesus um, and then uh, there's this oppression that rises up and they're on the run. Um, They head out of the city after about three weeks, three or four weeks or so, um, they were there. And then they, they, they head, um, eventually they make it to Athens. And whilst they're in Athens, they send Timothy back. Because they've only been with them for a short period. So they send Timothy back to encourage them. Um, and then bring a report back to them um, so that they can be praying. And then Paul is in Athens. Um, and he's writing this letter um, from Athens, from himself, from Silvanus, um, and from uh, Timothy. Um, and we finished uh, with chapter 3. At the end of chapter 3, um, Paul's shared something of the report that he's heard back um, from Timothy. Um, and he writes to them um, that his desire in verse 13 of chapter 3 um, is so that he, God, may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. And so where this um, persecution has risen up in uh, Thessalonica, he's basically writing that they would stand firm, that God would establish them in faith, that he would root them, um, root their hearts, blameless and holiness um, before God um, and Father. And today we arrive in chapter 4. And uh, Paul does actually begin to start uh, giving some instruction here. We'll see that um, in just a moment. Um, But just before we dive into uh, chapter 4, I just want to begin by asking a question of us today. And it's quite an important question. um, And the answer you could give quite flippantly. You could just answer off the cuff. But I really want us to have this question in our minds as we work through our passage today. And it's this question. Do you believe that God's way is better than anything else and ultimately leads to a fullness of life? Do you believe that God's way is better than anything else and ultimately leads to a fullness of life. Because you see in Matthew uh, chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. Jesus said enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate. And narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. And, and I want to encourage us today. To be seeking that narrow way. To find that narrow gate in Jesus. And to be pressing on on that narrow way. That actually, um, 
the narrow road that leads to life. And so we're going to see today that Paul gives instructions um, and he urges the believers in Thessalonica that they might walk the narrow way and please God. And we're going to look at how we might follow in their example um, and please God's heart too. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive in to chapter 4. Lord, I, Lord, I just pray that you would... Lord, I pray that you would give me wisdom uh, this morning. Lord, I pray that you, as we, as we open up your word, Lord, I pray that you would give us humility, um, Lord, to not just hear your word, Lord, but to be doers of your word. Lord, to sit under the authority of your word. And Lord, even, even, when, even when that way feels narrow uh, and when that way feels difficult and when that way feels tough, um, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to put one step in front of the other and to believe that, Jesus, you lead us into fullness of life. And that, Lord, as we open up your truth this morning, it has the, it has the power to transform our lives. Lord, we believe that. Lord, we believe that your word is powerful. We believe that your word searches out the depths of our heart. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would come, Lord, and you would search the deep corners of our heart this morning. That, Jesus, we might better follow you. That, Jesus, we might be better uh, disciples of yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll start on verse 1. Uh, it should come up. Oh, there, there you go. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. That you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And the way I'd like to tackle this passage today is I'd love us to look at uh, essentially two definitions throughout the passage that I think will unlock um, something of what Paul is getting at here. Um, both, both of them found in verse 3. The first one being um, sanctification. What does that word mean? We'll look at that. Um, and then the second, um, sexual immorality. And we'll look at that. But first of all, um, this word uh, sanctification in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. It's a big word, it's a fancy word. Um, essentially, sanctification means to be set apart for God. Or to be made holy. 
Um, and so sanctification is that process by which things are made holy. Um, and it's this idea of consecrating or dedicating something um, to God. And we read about this um, throughout the entire Bible. So in the Old Testament, there were a lot of things. Um, uh, uh, numerous times, the people of God, um, his people were told to consecrate themselves, to sanctify themselves. Um, there are temple, um, uh, temple items, um, various cups and plates and things like that that would have been sanctified. They would have been dedicated. They would have been offered to God. They would have been um, given over to the service of God um, in various different ways. Um, uh, when the Israelites fled um, Egypt, um, actually the, the word used is actually God sanctified um, uh, Mount Sinai. And that's where he met Moses um, in that cloud. And Moses goes up and gets the tablets. He sanctifies the mountain so that God can come um, and meet with um, Moses. And this idea of sanctification is, the, is essentially things being reserved for the purposes of God. That's the overarching theme of this word sanctification um, in Scripture. Uh, they wouldn't have just been everyday items, um, right? They would have been kept in special places. They would have been kept um, safe um, and secure. Now, in order for things to be sanctified, um, there was a process that, need, that needed to happen, um, particularly when it came to some of the objects in the temple um, and even the Ark of the Covenant itself um, Essentially, uh, these items would need to be cleansed. So they'd need to be um, purified. And this, this, this idea goes actually way back, right back to Genesis, right back to creation. Um, when uh, Adam and Eve um, first took the fruit of that tree in Genesis 3, um, and, 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 and through choosing to disobey God and ignore um, God's commandment, um, which was not to eat um, of this one particular tree. And they ate of it. And in doing so, sin entered the world. This impurity um, began to seep into creation. And from that moment, um, what we read is actually um, then this, this impurity and this ruin um, then starts to decay creation. And God's perfect creation begins to, to rot and eventually um, die. And this meant that um, anything used in God's service had to be, if you like, sort of um, brought from that place of everything's been tainted and impure. And it had to be purified and it had to be cleansed so that then it could be used in service um, to God. Often um, this process of sanctification would often um, include um, sacrifice. It would include the shedding of blood um, as a way of dealing with that impurity. That was often um, the case and the blood would then be sprinkled um, and all sorts of things like that. You can read about it um, in, uh, there's quite a lot about it in sort of Leviticus, um, uh, essentially where Moses outlines how the people are to live, and it gets very detailed. Um, but if you want to and you're interested, go for it. Um, but interestingly here, Paul uses this word sanctification not to apply to objects, um, but he applies it to the believers in Thessalonica. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Paul is saying, that actually, just like creation, that humanity has been tainted. 
humanity itself, through Adam and Eve, sin came into the world. And that impurity um, has begun to um, seep into um, the li- our lives uh, to the point where actually um, we turn away from God. Our natural inclination is to turn away from God. And we read in Psalm 14, um, verses 1 and 2, um, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Then verse 3, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And yet Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, but your sanctification, as Paul says in verse 3, he says, you Thessalonians are being cleansed. You're being purified. You're being made holy. You're being set apart for God's purposes. And now, this is a really important dimension um, to the Christian life because actually it reminds us that the Christian life is a journey. Uh, in 1 Philippians, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so what is this good work? This good work that that enables or activates, if you like, our sanctification, that gives Paul the confidence to be able to say, your sanctification to the Thessalonians. Well, just as sin came into the world and has tainted everything, because, because if you, as we read in Psalm 14, there is no one righteous, there's no one that seeks God. There's no one that pursues him. We've all turned away um, in our heart. But the wonderful, incredible good news of the gospel is that Jesus, who was fully God, became fully man, born as a baby, that he might live a perfect life. And he did. Perfect, completely pure, that he might die a perfect death and die that death in our place so that our impurity could be placed on him so that he could say, I will take all of that impurity, I will take all of that sin, I will take all of that rebellion and I will bear it in my body on the cross. And in so doing, he exchanges his perfect life on our behalf. And he gives us what Ephesians calls newness of life. Paul, when he writes to Ephesians, he says, walk in newness of life. And now we get to walk in this incredible newness of life where actually previously our our impurity should have led to death. But Romans 6, the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That now all of a sudden our destination has changed so that we can say that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And if you've put your trust in Jesus here today, then that work has begun in you and it's heading one way to that day when we meet Jesus face to face and his work in us will be completed. And this is that that idea of sanctification, that that God purifies and cleanses us in that moment as as those that are 
uh, set apart for his purposes and his plans. But at the same time, there's this ongoing journey of renewal, this journey of purification, this journey of refining till ultimately when we see Jesus and we meet him face to face or we probably fall down and worship him at his feet. In that moment, this work is completed. And so Paul is writing and he's encouraging them here. So he's even saying, as you received from us, in verse 1, um, he says, you've received certain instructions. Um, and in verse 1, he says, uh, he says, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. That he's saying, actually, you're doing the things that we've asked of you. We're doing those things that we've taught you. We're doing those instructions. Um, but he's encouraging and wanting to um, exhort them to step into more of that. That actually they might do so more and more. That they might please God more and more. That actually God might delight in what he's doing in them increasingly. And so that they might pursue this way that leads to life. And now, what is then this, this, this key instruction that he's given them? Well, here, he really goes in, doesn't he? So he says, your sanctification, in verse 3, he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honour, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. And so then what is sexual immorality? Right? We're going to go there this morning. It's actually easier to define sexual immorality um, by its opposite. What is sexual morality? What is biblical sexual morality? What does the Bible teach um, about our sexuality um, as human beings? Well, um, the Bible's actually really clear um, that, that sexual morality um, is, that, is, is sexual activity between um, a man and a woman within the covenant of marriage. That's, that's it. Essentially, anything outside of that is biblically defined as sexually immoral. It doesn't matter what shape or form that takes. If, if, if sexual activity exists uh, between a man and a woman within the covenant of marriage, then there, that, that, is a, that is a healthy biblical expression of sexuality. Anything outside of that falls into sexual immorality, right? And we see that um, sex is given um, to humanity for the strengthening of both the marital union, but also for um, having children, procreation, and populating the earth. And the command that he gives to Adam and Eve is to be fruitful and multiply. Um, and now... Uh, why is he writing this to the Thessalonians? Well, in Thessalonica, uh, it would have been largely um, a Gentile population. So they wouldn't have been Jewish. They wouldn't have had um, the same structure or framework or um, family model um, that perhaps some of the Jewish believers would have um, brought with them. Um, and with that um, would have come a city that was probably rife with a lot of pagan worship um, and a lot of um, promiscuity, um, a lot of um, just 
sexual activity just all over the place. Um, it was just um, it was just kind of how it went. Um, it was quite sort of um, it would have been quite a casual like the morality bar was pretty low um, to be fair, um, and uh, that that pursuit of um, if you like, our most basic of human instincts would have been at the forefront of people's minds. That probably would have been, that was quite common for cities like um, Thessalonica um, at the time. And to be fair, it sounds a lot like the sexual liberation of our day, right? It, so it sounds like that, that, that casual approach um, to sexuality, to sex, where kind of anything goes, it's kind of like this free-for-all. And this idea of, I mean, the irony of sexual liberation when so many people are trapped in habitual cycles um, of, just, of just degenerative, gross stuff, right? The, the idea that this is liberation is kind of, it's faltered, it's, it's failed, it's, it's, it doesn't stack up, it doesn't sound, it doesn't really, um, it doesn't really stack up. Um, and so um, at this point, um, we, might, we, might, we might think to ourselves, do you know what, this, this sounds like, this sounds like a denial of ourself. This sounds like, actually, um, I just have to, uh, certain sexual urges or desires within me, I just have to put them to bed um, and be done with it. Um, but actually, I think, and I think growing up um, in church, I would say that's a lot of the teaching that I received. That actually, all I've got to do is just deny something of uh, my, my own desires. I've got to put that to bed um, so that actually I can, I, can, I can kind of almost squeeze it out of my mind and ignore it um, until maybe one day I get married and then, that, and then, uh, you know, and then it's like party in heaven, right? Um, I don't think that's necessarily right. Um, and I'll tell you why in a second. Um, what it does, a denial of those um, sexual urges and how God created us to be, which is language that you'll hear, that this is a denial of who I am and who God's made me to be. Um, what Jesus said in uh, Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Right? So it's not wrong. <laughs> he did say deny yourself um, and take up your cross and follow me. Right? So denial of self is not the problem. Right? We, we do. We deny ourselves sometimes. We deny certain sin. We turn our back on it. That's what it means to flee um, sexual immorality. That's what it means to turn our back on sin. That's what it means to repent um, of all of those things. But more so, here, Paul's not encouraging them to deny those, those urges, their sexuality. He's not saying just put it to bed, ignore it, squeeze it out of your mind. He's saying, no, in verse 4... He says that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. See, it's not about denial at all. It's about control. It's about not giving ourselves uh, to the passion of lust, um, like the Gentiles. That's what he says, who do not know God. You see, it's about an ordering of priorities. It's about taking control um, of our sexual expression and not just being kind of, if you like, the victim to whatever we're feeling in whatever the moment and so then expressing out of that place. This is interesting because um, the Corinthians um, actually argued um, 
against that point um, in 1 Corinthians. So uh, let's have a quick look there. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, it says, um, A food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy... This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. Sorry, I should preface that. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians, and he's quoting the Corinthians as saying to him, um, Food is meant for the stomach, and food, and the stomach for food. And then Paul's response is, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. You see, we might ask that what their, their logic is, well, isn't, isn't sexual appetite just like food? Um, that if your body craves food, then you feed it, Right? Like, if you're hungry, you get something to eat, and it nourishes, and it satisfies you. And if you have passions and desires for sexual expression, um, shouldn't you just satisfy that urge, be done with it, and move on? That's the logic um, that's being played out there. But Paul doesn't actually say that at all. And if anybody knows... The, the, the insatiable desire of sexual pursuit. And what I mean by that is it's never satisfied. It's never satisfied. You see, you can't buy into the logic that your body is only satisfied with certain things. It doesn't even matter if it's sex or other things. You can't buy into the logic that your body is only satisfied by these certain things. And that actually, by just throwing off um, control and pursuing the passion of lust, as uh, Paul talks about in Thessalonians, it actually only leads to a greater desire. And actually, it just leaves you in this place wanting more. And, and, and that's, how, that's, how, that's how people get into this cycle of sin. Because it's never satisfied. And they get trapped in this habitual pattern time and time and time again. And it can feel insurmountable. But we're going to see by the grace of God it's not. And actually God wants to kill that. God wants to put it to bed. So that actually we can take control of our bodies and honour God. In... um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul makes the point um, that the body wasn't meant for sex, it was meant for the Lord. That actually, um, our bodies weren't created purely to be satisfied with sex. This, in what he's writing to the 1 Corinthians. Our bodies are designed to be satisfied entirely and completely and fully by the Lord. And yes, 100%, our bodies are completely uh, capable of sexual activity, um, 100%. um, But that's not the end purpose of our body. That's not the peak of our physical existence. And that's why Paul then advocates, he's advocating for healthy parameters to sexual expression. So all of a sudden, take control of your body. This is your body. 
Take control of it. Don't give yourself over um, to the passions of lust. Control your body in holiness and honor. And so to reduce, to reduce the question to essentially can or can I not have sex completely misses the point. That actually our bodies were designed to be given to the Lord. And actually we find our ultimate satisfaction and purpose in him. And I will say this, I recognize that I'm a married man and there are many in the church that aren't married. And, and, I, and, and, and I think that, well, there's two things I want to say. Please hear me on this. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I want to be faithful to what I believe Scripture says. And that might be unpopular, and at times it might feel like that narrow way, and it might be hard. But I would rather find the hard way and be faithful to what Scripture says. And the second thing I would say is, when you get married, this doesn't change. When you get married, all of a sudden that box isn't checked. Because I think I th- I, I, I think I think here's what I, th- I think there is there is a slight nuance here, whereby I think what we do is we go, great, I get married, and now I satisfy that job done. Like those urges. And actually what we don't do is we don't actually deal with some of those urges and desires and the passion of lust. We don't deal with it. Because actually what, what, what we do is we just carry some of the hang-ups that we had and we just carry that into a new relationship when we're married. right? We don't actually take control of our bodies through the process. We're not learning to be disciplined We're not learning to say, do you know what? This is my body that I've given to the Lord. And through this covenant of marriage, I'm going to give my body to my spouse. And I think, and I I wonder how many of us consciously ever make that journey. Or whether whether we enter into marriage with an attitude of, of, of just kind of carrying some of this spiritual baggage with us and just because it meets a physical need it never actually deals with our heart and so um, to finish Paul's point in 1 Corinthians um, essentially what he's saying is it demonstrates a lack of trust that God can and will satisfy the desires of our body And so I want to ask this question at the beginning. That I wanted to ask this question at the beginning because I think it really is. It really, it really does get to the heart. Because if we believe this to be true, then all of a sudden our, our entire perspective on sexual expression changes. Because all of a sudden it's not necessarily about uh, my way or denying myself. Actually, it's about taking control of my body and what, God, and what God has entrusted to me to be able to steward um, to him and for him that I might glorify him. And so do we believe that ultimately God's way is better than anything else and ultimately leads 
to the fullness of life. Um, and so in doing, in doing this, in doing this, we, 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 we touched on it right at the beginning. That actually, um, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. You see, walking in this uh, pattern, walking in this way, um, actually delights God's heart. Taking control of our bodies and offering to them to him as an act of worship delights his heart. Regardless of our situation, regardless of our circumstance, actually being able to offer um, ourselves to him. Um, it says in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, Jesus said in John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, and, and, and in our world where we have this plurality of ideas and ideology and sexual expressions and we just, you know, like casual sex like all over the place, like you've got apps built around it now. Like in, in, in that, with that backdrop, Jesus says, I am the only way. He doesn't offer another way. He says, I am the way. There is no other way. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so maybe, um, maybe you're not a believer here today and you're thinking, um, <laughs> this is all a little bit out there <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of where we're up to in Thessalonians. But today, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you know something of that of that journey. Maybe you know something of that, 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 that pursuit of lust, that passion of lust, that actually you know in your own power you can't break that cycle. Maybe you're, you're trapped in that cycle today. And maybe today is the day that you take your first steps to putting your trust in Jesus. And you say, do you know what? I, I am powerless against this thing. And I need, I need help. You need Jesus. You need to know the cleansing, purifying work of Jesus on the cross. That he bore in his body all that impurity that leads to death. That you might receive eternal life. Or maybe you are um, a believer today. But perhaps, perhaps you're struggling to to understand what I'm saying because your current reality or circumstance means that actually you're trapped in habitual sin. Over and over and over, and it just goes on. Whether, whether, whether that is through your physicality, whether that is through um, your mind, whether you, um, there's certain um, scenarios um, or things that play out in your mind, certain securities that you've fixated on in your mind um, and, and you feel trapped in that circle. You feel trapped by that. 
Well, listen to what it says uh, in verse 7. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. That Jesus' work on the cross, he didn't call us to remain impure. He called us in holiness. That Jesus, through his death on the cross, has made us holy. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And I just feel like God wants to just break something today um, in certain people's lives around this whole area. Um, And we're going to pray in just a minute. Um, But I do really want to encourage us that the Holy Spirit um, has been given to us that we might be equipped and empowered to renew our thinking, to be transformed, and to be set free. Um, So what I'd love us to do, why don't we just stand for a minute. Um, I recognize it's not necessarily the topic that everybody wants to come rushing to the front. Um, Right? Like, I get that. I get that. Which is why I ask everybody to stand. Um, and just, 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 take, just take just a moment, just a few seconds, um, just wherever you're at, um, just to draw near in your heart. Um, just to draw near. And maybe there's certain things that just, um, maybe just under your breath or in your mind, you just need to bring to the Lord. You need to surrender to him. Or you need to uh, repent or turn away um, from certain things, and you just need to come back to Jesus, um, or maybe even there's, and maybe even there's other things um, that you're struggling with, other uh, pressures that you're facing, that you think actually in doing that, I'm I'm choosing um, to put my security in other things. That may not necessarily be sexual expression, sexual activity, um, or, or sexual immorality. Um, but that may be maybe other things. You may be choosing to put your security in other things. And just, just before God, just bring that to him. Just lay it at his feet. Lord Jesus, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you that your promise is to be with us right through to the end of the age. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you baptize us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and you equip us, Lord, and you empower us, Lord, to live for you. Lord, to walk and to please you and to bring glory to your name. And Lord, I just pray Lord, that where, uh, way, where there may be these, these, these strongholds that the enemy has, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would tear those down in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray you would release people from the insatiable grip of sin. Lord, that never-ending cycle. Lord, I pray you would release people right now 
that Jesus, they would know what it is to walk in newness of life. And Lord, having set out on that narrow road, that Jesus, they would know with absolute certainty, Lord, that you have a plan and you are sanctifying them and transforming them by the renewal of their mind, Lord, and by their equipping and empowering of their bodies. Lord, I pray for a new sense of control whereby we can bring ourselves to you fully. And that, Jesus, as we do that, you would release something of the grip of the enemy. Lord, that we would increasingly live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I just want to just say something very quickly. Um, you, you can sit down if you want. Um, just say very quickly. Obviously, um, I know many of the gospel communities um, love to follow up um, with this, um, in, with discussion around uh, what the sermon's about. Um, and I get that with a topic like this, it might not always be that easy or appropriate to do that um, in a larger context. Um, and so you will, if you are a gospel community leader, you will need to think about how you have that conversation. Um, and maybe it is appropriate to separate it off um, into um, men and women or even into smaller um, twos and threes to have that conversation. Um, but I would, I, would, I would encourage you to answer, ask three questions. Um, and it is being recorded, so you can always listen back. Um, but ask three questions. What has changed in your life as you've put your trust in Jesus? And then secondly, what are the obstacles or hurdles to your spiritual growth? Whether that's sexual immorality, whether that's greed, whether that's um, security and other things, whether that's idolatry, whether that's occult, um, and maybe all sorts of other things where you know in your heart um, you've given way and it's proving an obstacle um, and a barrier to your growth. And then thirdly, um, how can we prioritize God's way to obey and please him? Right? It's so super practical. Um, and as GC leaders, you may, you may want to have that as a wider discussion. You may want to break that into sm smaller groups. Um, but yeah, I'm going to pray quickly. I know we've gone over um, but let me pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this time together, Lord. I thank you um, that you are full of wisdom and grace. And Lord, where we lack wisdom, um, Lord, we just come to you. And Lord, we just ask for you to um, pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, I pray even as we head out for fellowship now, that Jesus, you would uh, be at work. And Lord, I do pray, um, Lord, that as, as many reflect on this, on this passage and this whole area, um, of sexual immorality, Lord Jesus, I pray, um, Lord, that you would continue to be at work in our hearts and lay a good, solid foundation that, Lord, we might be those that build um, on the rock. In Jesus' name, amen.